0: Good morning, Hope Church. Thank you, Rob. <coughs> How's everyone today? Good. I was lucky enough to uh, to come across this summer cold, so we're hoping that uh, hoping that the voice holds up through this. You know, I think I'm good for an hour and 15, or you know, an hour and a half. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, come on, really? Well, Happy Independence Day, right? This is a day that we celebrate our independence from the tyranny of England. And um, despite what may be going on in our country today, it's still the greatest country in the world. That's why people keep trying to come here and not go somewhere else. So have you ever found yourself watching a TV show or maybe a movie and having no idea what's happening because you either missed previous episodes or you started watching right in the middle of the movie. Maybe you're watching with someone and a new character enters the scene and you're like, all right, who's that? Who's that? What's going on? Or there's a reference to an event in the past and you say, all right, what are they talking about? What do they mean? And quite possibly the person you're watching with becomes visibly annoyed because they're trying to keep up with what's happening in the new plot line and you are a distraction with all of your questions. Or, or maybe you're the one that knows the backstory. This is your favorite show, your favorite movie, and the person you're watching with has no idea what's going on And they keep asking you these inane, irritating questions that keep you from focusing on what's happening in your show. See, it's important to understand context and history when you're watching a program like that. As the story builds on itself, it's really the only way you can truly appreciate what's happening in the current episode. Now, believe it or not, reading the Bible is kind of like that. In order to get the most out of God's word, we should understand the context and the history behind any particular passage that we look at. And that's true as we continue in our study of the book of Colossians. So today we pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And to just make sure that we get all that we possibly can out of our examination, and in case you're joining us for the first time, we're going to take a moment, we're going to review some history and context, as well as what's happened in previous episodes. So this book of Colossians is a letter, and it's written by the Apostle Paul to a fairly new church in Colossae. And this church had gotten its start during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus. See, Paul went to Ephesus, and for two years he preached the gospel there. And a man traveled from Colossae to Ephesus and heard Paul preaching the gospel. Anybody remember his name? Epaphras, right? Epaphras was the guy that came from Colossae, heard the gospel, was was just blown away by what he heard blown away by the gospel and so much so that he went back to his hometown he started sharing the gospel and ended up starting this new church now does anybody remember where else epaphras started a church we talked about it a couple weeks ago anybody it's gonna be a lot of questions i'm gonna be giving away a lot of points you know the points they they accumulate you know you might they might be worth something i don't know Anybody remember Laodicea, right? We're pretty sure that Epaphras started this church in Laodicea as well. Here's another question for you. More bonus points. Does anyone remember why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians? Anybody? False teachers, right? There were false teachers that had infiltrated the church and they were causing division remember a couple of weeks ago we read in chapter 2 verse 4 paul writes i tell you this or in other words i write this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments see these false teachers at colossae they were telling the christians there that they needed something more they needed something outside of christ some greater wisdom outside of christ And they were talking about, yeah, Christ plus, right? Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus rituals, Christ plus works. So Paul writes this to refute those things. And there's two main themes that run through this book. We talked about them in week one. Anybody remember theme number one? The supremacy of Christ, very good. Very good. And what is number two? The sufficiency of Christ. I'm not giving out a lot of points here. (laughs) These prizes are going to go to waste. so. So the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And that's how Paul began this letter. From the very beginning, Paul talked about the supremacy of Christ, right? Or the preeminence of Christ, as Paul writes earlier in chapter 1, he says, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul's telling us that Christ is the creator. He's the creator of the cosmos, and he is the sustainer of all things in heaven and on earth. Remember what John tells us in his gospel. God that Christ was with God in the beginning. Christ eternally pre-existed creation and he reigned supreme. He created everything. the supremacy of Christ. Another emphasis in the book, as we said, is the sufficiency of Christ. and Paul makes this clear for us that yes, Christ is God, But he willingly took on flesh. He entered into our realm as a human. And that man was Jesus. And because Jesus is fully God, yet fully man, he and only he is able to reconcile us to God. It's the sacrifice of Jesus and nothing more. It's nothing more. We don't add to it in any way. We are made righteous by, does anybody remember why? By what? By his death, right? Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 22, it is by his death. It is the sacrifice of Jesus and nothing more. Only the shed blood of the Son of God is able to present us. If you remember, we talked about him presenting us as holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. Christ is sufficient. That's the gospel that Paul preached. As he wrote in chapter 1, verse 28, he is the one we proclaim. And that's that gospel that we talk about that absolutely blew Paul away. It changed him. And that's the gospel that Epaphras heard Paul preach in Ephesus. And it transformed him as well. It's the gospel that, as as we heard from Paul a couple of weeks ago, it changed his identity. It changed his focus in life. It rearranged his priorities. It recreated his ultimate goal in life. He was now commissioned by God as a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church. And friends, this is the same gospel that we have with us today. It's the same gospel. And friends, I just pray that 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 gospel would change us, that that gospel would transform us, just like it did Paul and Epaphras. It's the gospel that we want to share with our neighbors. That's our mission. That's why we're here. See, we want to contend Right? Paul talked about contending before and striving for the gospel to see lives changed. That's our, that's our vision, right? Is to see lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because Hope Church is here sharing the gospel with the world that needs it so badly. See, that's what Paul was about. That's what defined him. And I just wanted to make sure that we reviewed all of that, that we're all up to speed, that we know what happened in previous episodes, because today, today, as Paul helps us to understand what it means to be alive in Christ, he begins the passage that we're going to study this morning with an important word, therefore. And we talked about the importance of this word in the past, right? It's like a road sign. You come up to a road sign, the road sign is there for a reason. The road sign tells you that something is coming up. And it's probably something that you should pay attention to. And when you see this word, therefore, in the Bible, it means that there's something coming. And it is going to be important. But it also means, it also means pay attention to what I just said. Because what I'm about to say is a direct result of what I just shared. So with all that in mind, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16, uh, I'm sorry, 6 to 15. Getting ahead of myself here. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It will not be difficult for you to follow along in the NIV. As a matter of fact, I'm going to refer to the NIV a couple of times as well like to use them both. <clears throat> so Paul begins this part of the letter to the church at Colossae with this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What Paul's saying here is because of what we know about the gospel, because of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ as previously described, knowing that the gospel is, as Paul says in Romans 1.16, the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, knowing all of that, walk in Christ. And when you see this phrase, that meant a lot to the Jewish people because back then the word walk really spoke to the manner in which one would conduct one's life. In other words, the NIV says, live your lives in him. And what Paul's doing here is he's, Paul, he's, he's calling the Colossians back to the basics of the gospel, back to the basics, back to the fundamentals, and what do we know about the basics? What do we know about the fundamentals? If you were with us last week, you would have heard that the basics don't change. The fundamentals of the gospel remain the same. That gospel that Paul preached, as we said before, is the same gospel that we preach today. It has not changed. Never will. Never will. And friends, Jesus is who he is, regardless of what people may think or may say about him. Jesus was and always will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel, it will change you. It will change you. You cannot stay the same. When your eyes are opened to the reality of the gospel, when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, when you believe on Him as the supreme, sufficient Savior that He is, that belief is going to change your behavior. You cannot stay the same. You start walking out and living out the gospel. You walk in Christ. And we're able to do that Because, as Paul tells the Colossians in verse 7, they are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And actually, Paul does something that's kind of curious here. He mixes metaphors. He's mixing metaphors here when he talks about being rooted and then being built up. But he does this to make a point. And both metaphors make the point that all the Colossians have become and all that they've gained is through their connection to Jesus Christ. They owed their very nature and their very being to Christ. Are we any different? Are we any different? No, we're not all that we are and all that we have is from him so the colossians and make no mistake make no mistake we too are rooted in other words connected to the source we are rooted in the fertile soil of faith in Jesus Christ and what do we know about trees with firm roots you know, we had some pretty nasty thunderstorms come through a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. And those trees with firm roots, they were able to withstand and they stood. But what else do we know about trees that are well rooted? They bear fruit, right? They bear fruit. When we are connected to Christ, the source, we bear fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. In other words, stay connected to me and you will bear fruit. Because, (laughs) as Jesus also says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul echoes these words from Jesus here when he says that we have been rooted in Christ. And then this is where he starts mixing the metaphors because now he uses a construction metaphor. When he says that we're being built up. But we're being built up, right? We're being built upon the strong foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, we see echoes of the words of Jesus, this time from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus tells us that the wise man, the wise man builds upon the rock of the firm foundation of the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, not on the sands of false teachings, not on shifting doctrine, only the house built on Christ and the truth of his word can stand and this is what the colossians have been taught from the very beginning the truth of the gospel and 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 when when paul talks about this 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 rooting and this building up and this establishing in the faith who does that that's the work of christ right It's Christ who roots us. It's Christ who builds us up. It's Christ who establishes us in the faith. And what's our response? Paul tells us at the end of that verse, we are to abound in thanksgiving, right? We are to be grateful for all that Jesus has done for us. We owe everything to him. And that's why we strive. That's why we contend for the gospel, just like Paul did. That's why we work hard with everything we have as servants of the gospel, as servants of the church. It's all a natural response to what Christ has done for us. And then Paul goes on, and he reiterates again the reason that he wrote this. He says, in a sense, do not be deceived. In verse 8, he writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And this is exactly why Paul continues to emphasize the basics of the gospel. Friends, when we know what is real, when we know what is truth, we will not be led astray by false teachings. It's like an agent of the Treasury Department that fights counterfeiting. So these agents, you know that they don't study counterfeit bills, right? They don't sit there and study. Counterfeit bills because there's thousands and thousands of ways to counterfeit a bill. They study the real thing, they study what's real. Then, when they come across a counterfeit bill, they will be able to spot it a mile away. And, friends, that is how we need to approach the truth of the gospel. And we've talked about this before, right? We grow. Right? That's our goal, is to grow in our knowledge of God and grow in the knowledge of the truth of His Word. Remember, Paul preaches Jesus so that we would mature in our faith, right? Mature in Christ. Then, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there, by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their defeat, deceitful scheming, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. When we mature In Christ, when we mature in the gospel, we won't be tempted by the empty promises of false teachings. Right? Paul refers to them as empty deceit. See, the false teachers in Colossae were promising something, they were promising fullness, they were promising peace. And isn't that what our sins are? and our addictions, and and a lot of the false teachings that are out there today, isn't that what they promise too? They promise fullness. They promise peace. They promise to make you whole. There's something missing. They promise to fill that void in your life. It's a void, friends. It's an emptiness that we all have. We all have it, and we try to fill it, right? We try to fill it with all kinds of things We try to fill it with money, with career, with power. We try to fill it with relationships, with alcohol, with drugs. (laughs) But as someone who has tried pretty much all of those things, I will tell you, they don't fill the hole. They don't fill the hole. It's all empty deceit. No matter how much we pour in there, right? No matter how much we pour into that empty hole, it's never enough. It's human tradition. It's of the world, and it is not of Christ. But then here's here's the beauty, okay? Paul gives us the good news in verses 9 and 10. He says, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So again here, Paul affirms that Jesus is not just like a mirror image of God, right? He's not a reflection of God, but he is God dwelling among us in human form. Jesus, the manifestation of God. He is in fact God. And it is Christ who embodies the Godhead, in all of its fullness. And that fullness spills out to his people. And then we are filled. Friends, it is Christ and Christ alone that fills us. He makes us complete. He fills that void in our lives. You know, Blaise Pascal, the uh, philosopher, he, he nailed it on this one. He nailed it because he called it A God shaped or a God sized whole is Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in verses 11 and 12 In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I love Paul. He loves long sentences. But you know what Paul wants the Galatians to know is, is, and we have to remember that Paul's speaking to a mainly Gentile crowd here, right? And these Gentiles have never been circumcised. But Paul wants them to know that they were indeed circumcised in a spiritual sense. Which is much more important than the physical sense. And the spiritual circumcision, basically what that means is the putting off of the old self, right? The stripping away and the casting away of the old self. There's no need for physical circumcision. Remember, remember, the false teachers were teaching that, yeah, Christ plus circumcision. And Paul's saying, no. No, you don't need to be circumcised. You need to be baptized. And that's the truth for all of us. Christians don't need to be circumcised. We need to be baptized. Knowing, knowing that it's not baptism that saves us. We know that, right? We know that it's not baptism that saves us. That saves us. Baptism, friends, is an outward sign. It is an outward expression of a new inward commitment. Our old self is buried with Christ in our baptism, and the new self is raised with him through faith in God, who in his power and in his might raised Jesus from the dead. So, too, we are raised to new life in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. Because, as Paul mentioned previously, he says in verse 13 here, As we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Friends, apart from Christ, we are all dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. We're lost in that emptiness of deceit. But when we're united with Christ, we're made alive because our sins are forgiven. And Christ does this, as it says in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul's telling us here that we each have a record of guilt. We each have a record of debt to God, a record of debt that demands payment. And when you think about it for a minute, how much paper would it take to contain your entire record of debt? I know for me, it'd be a lot. would be killing a lot of trees to do this. It's a debt so huge that I could never pay it. But Jesus, he sets it aside and nails it to the cross. The cross that he hung on for me in my place. And he does the same for each and every one of us who call on his name. He sets us free he makes us alive in christ there's no other way to be alive other than through christ see when christ made that sacrifice for us paul tells us in verse 15 he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them see friends the battle has been won Christ is victorious on the cross. He defeated the demonic powers. They no longer have the power to accuse Christians before God. But you know, we know that Satan is real. And he hasn't given up the fight for our souls. No, he hasn't. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, this is the spiritual warfare that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about how Paul encourages the Colossians, and he encourages us to be disciplined and stand firm in our faith. See, the the battle is over. The battle is over. The victory is won in Christ. That's the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We were once dead in our sins, but now have been made alive in Him. If you remember, when we began this study, we said that we need reminders, right? We need reminders lest we forget. And Paul here, he's reminding us. He's reminding us of what we have received. And that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. He reigns supreme, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are rooted and established in our faith. And what's left? Our response. And friends, I pray that we would live lives that are transformed by the truth of the gospel, that we would choose joy and walk in a way that shows the world that we have been made alive in Christ.